Good afternoon and welcome to the show. I have a full show for you this week. That's right. Just chocked full of all sorts of fun stuff and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you know, I've been it's been a real busy week for me. Uh, I've been along a lot of the shows here on the uh, station talking about all sorts of things. Of course, the liberal budget. We're going to be talking about that in depth today. Um, I've got a few guests that are going to be lining up in a little while. Uh, Benjamin Tall, Deputy Chief Economist, is going to be back. Uh, he's been with us several times here on the show and we are going to be talking about both the Bank of Canada and the budget. Um, but, you know, coming up shortly, I've got Michelle Kelly. She's editor-in-chief at Cottage Life magazine. And uh, did you know the Cottage show is on this weekend? Well, maybe you should go out and take a look at it at the International Center. And in a little while, I've got Phil Soper, CEO of Royal LePage. He's going to be joining me again. And uh, always great to get Phil's perspective on things that are changing in real estate. And speaking of changing in real estate, um, I don't know if any of you caught uh, a little while ago uh, the Sherman family. Um, they were trying to get a permission to demolish the uh, the mansion that uh, the Sherman um, uh, people were murdered in, and um, it, they did get permission. And this is a, this is a positive thing. Obviously, uh, you know what? It's better to start off with a clean slate. So I'm glad to see that the powers to be are giving them permission to get the uh, knock down the building, and uh, people can move on. And and I think that's a positive thing, of course, and uh, lots of other things going on. Um, you know how uh, a lot of weeks I'll start talking about builders and what is going on. Well, unfortunately, you got a 10-story Danforth condo canceled by Deem Developments. 135 units. Uh, everybody's getting back their deposits, but another one off the market. Do you know last year that we had more than 4,000 units terminated? Um, I don't know if you were one of them, but, you know, it's uh, it's becoming a little bit more common. Uh, a lot of times the builders are saying they just can't afford to do it. You know what? If they sold out a few years ago, they sold it at a certain price. Today's values are much higher. Costs, red tape, uh, you know, material, labor, everything. It's on its way up, as are the prices. And so are they really telling us the truth when they say they can't afford to build it? Or are they just feeling that they left a little too much money on the table because prices have risen so much in the condominium market you know one of the things you don't hear is the fact that people are canceling detached builds you know and i don't know if anybody's noticed that but you you know you don't have any of the major builders sitting there saying hey listen we're canceling that three thousand square foot house that you bought um it's always the condominiums and it's because you know they do require construction financing they've got to sell to a certain level uh by the time everything's said and done you know this can take years uh it's a lot easier for people to build a subdivision home than it is to build a high-rise there's a lot more uh, a lot more moving parts and and so I think that's one of the reasons why we don't see the cancellation of detached homes as much. Um, not sure if you picked it up uh, this week, but um, the mayor, Bonnie Crombie of Mississauga, um, she's, they're, they're one step closer to leaving Peel Region. She did get the support of city council. Uh, but of course, you know, it's one of those things that it might be difficult. Mississauga wants to separate from the Peel Region and be a standalone. Uh, you know, being a homegrown Mississauga person, um, I get it. Um, just 
but uh, it's it's new. Uh, it's going to take, I think, a little while for people to, you know, wrap their heads around it and if they can pull it off. But um, all the power to her. Uh, we've had Mayor Crombie here uh, on the show several times. Always great to have her on. And hopefully I'll be able to get her take on it in the next few weeks. Maybe we can get her back as a guest and have her, uh, you know, give us her perspective on why it's a good idea that Mississauga separates from Peel. Um, as uh, as you know, we've got a guest sometimes that joins us, Mike Chesahoski out of CBRE. Big, big sale that just closed out. Uh, Celestica sells 60 acres of the Toronto campus for development. Um, the funny thing is, this has been ongoing for years, almost 10 years from the start to the finish. So can you imagine uh, if your house took that long to sell? Uh, well, prices go up, and I'm pretty sure that this one did as well. So there's lots going on in the commercial world. And a lot of other things going on. Um, I don't know if uh, anybody tuned in listening to Jerry Agar this week. Um, I was on with Jerry and we we're talking about dirty money and it's, you know, they're saying a lot of people are laundering money here in Canada in real estate. Uh, big number that was thrown around and, you know, I needed to spell a few things when they're saying that, you know, they believe that people that own corporations, holding companies, are the ones that are doing the laundering. And one of the things that, of course, if you're a real estate investor, you know, we try to talk to people about, you know, their own personal exposure. And a lot of times when somebody wants to own multiple properties, it's better to put it in a holding company. So does this mean that you are laundering money? And so the report, I think, should be viewed two ways. One, of course, you know, we do want Want to crack down on any kind of money laundering here in Canada. It doesn't do uh, anybody any good. But at the same time, we have to be realistic to say that just because you have a holding company does not mean that you are laundering money. And, you know, one of the comments, of course, was that 50% of all properties worth over $7 million are held in a uh, trust or some form of holding company. And my reaction to that is, duh, of course, because of personal liability and exposure. You know, you don't want, if something goes wrong with you personally, you don't want somebody coming in and taking your house. If something goes wrong with the house or perhaps some kind of entity financially, you don't want it to affect you personally. So there is some reason why people do this, the separation, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's completely legal. And the one thing is, is that when you're holding in a corporation, of course, you are not capital gains exempt as you are when it's your primary residence. So the government does get their money. But one thing this report did not detail is, how many people sold? It was all about buying, not about selling. And where did that money go? Well, the government would have got their capital gains for sure. And uh, the rest of it, again, is going to be left to the RCMP and everybody else to do the investigations that they will. Now, of course, it's the Simple Seminar coming up on Thursday, March 28th. That's this Thursday, 7 p.m. Any of you that had signed up for the February one missed it because of the snow. You don't want to miss this one because I am going to talk a little bit about the budget as well and the impact it's going to have on real estate and does it make sense. But of course, we talk about uh, being a landlord. We're going to talk about where the best place to buy investment properties and you don't want to miss out. So go to the simpleinvestor.com to register. Make sure you come out. Uh, you know what? It's very, uh, it's a it's a good evening, just a couple hours of your time and we'll have a great chat. Uh, but of course, the budget. And um, I did get on a bit of a rant about the budget this week with quite a few people. And I've got to tell you, I wasn't impressed, not by any stretch, about what they are trying to offer everyone. And I don't know what your take on it was, but 
of course, when people start talking about all the goodies that they're hoping that the government will help them with, there's got to be some strings attached. So let's break it down. If you're going to buy, and by the way, it doesn't happen right away. It's kind of funny. They can impose a tax immediately. If you remember the Kathleen Wynne government, when they were in and they decided that they wanted to try to burn um, foreign buyers, and they immediately imposed it within basically 24 hours. But, of course, if their government's going to throw a little money your way, they're going to drag it out just before the election. Is there a coincidence here? Uh, I'm not sure. But one thing I will tell you is that um, what they're offering is that CMHC, so Canadian Mortgage Housing Corporation, is going to be able to help if you turn around and you are going to buy a property. Matt, here's a couple of the caveats. Uh, what they do is they say that you a household income, a maximum combined income of $120,000, so if you make more than that, you do not, you, are, you, you will not qualify for this. But what they'll do is they will allow you to have a mortgage of four times that amount. So the maximum mortgage is 480000 So basically, if you put 5% down, your maximum purchase is going to be $500,000. Okay, so immediately, if we're talking about the GTA, we're talking about a condominium, right? Okay, so I'm just setting up a scenario here because I, you know, I want to make it very simple of how we're looking at this. So, you know, of course, two biggest markets, Vancouver and Toronto. Vancouver is on a slide right now down, but still 500,000 uh, is only condominium market in Vancouver. And so if you're gonna buy resale, they'll give you a maximum of 5%. So you come up with five, they come up with five, and Kumbaya, uh, CMHC, by the way, will turn around and don't forget, they do charge for a high ratio mortgage. High ratio mortgage means that you have less than 20% down. The insurance premium with 5% down is 4.5%. So you put down five, they charge you 4.5%. Your equity sitting in your property on the day of closing is 0.5 of a percent. Okay, we're just working the numbers here, folks. Now, when you put 10% down, your premium drops to 3.1%, which means that on day one, you've got 6.9% equity. Okay, so you put a little bit more money down, you don't pay as high a premium. Great. Now, if you get them involved, so resale, the maximum they're going to give you is 5%. If you're buying brand new construction, maximum they're going to give you is 10%. Now, that's not a bad thing, and I think it's going to help a few people, maybe more so in other parts of Canada. So, you know, you're buying a you know $200,000 home somewhere. Well, that's not a bad thing, okay? So if they're going to help you out, it's going to make it a little bit easier. So I'm not going to fault them on an attempt, but what I do fault them on is the fact that there is absolutely no disclosure of is there, how much is attached to future value is there going to be any interest paid when it's got to be paid? They said down the road. So this was one of those quick knee-jerk reactions saying, hey, we're going to attribute, you know, one and a half billion dollars into the marketplace to help bolster first-time buyers. Well, you know what? I'm saying, eh, fail. I don't think they nailed this one very well. Um, you know, a couple other things, of course, is do you really want to have a partnership with a governing body like that? So it is a partnership. It's not a loan. It's a, a partnership. So they're going to have 10% stake in your property. What if you want to put a credit line on the property? Do they have the right to veto it and say no? And again, 
when we take a look at it, they're saying, hey, we're going to throw 100,000 people into the mix over the next three years. Well, last time I checked um, is that when you're buying brand new construction, it takes three to five years to get it ready. So there's a lot of things here that I would say we really don't know enough information. And I'm really hoping that they get to us uh, before the election and tell us how this whole thing is going to get go together. Uh, one other comment, of course, RSPs. RSPs, you can now use 35 35,000 uh, instead of 25. Not sure how many first-time home buyers have 35 kicking around, but I think w- w- what they need to do is they need to open up a family RSP, let your parents help you out, give it up to $50,000 and allow that to be your down payment. Again, just my suggestion. So uh, listen, coming up after the break, I've got Michelle Kelly, editor-in-chief from Cottage Life Magazine joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So my guest joining me now is Michelle Kelly, and she's editor-in-chief at Cottage Life Media and Cottage Life Magazine. And Michelle, welcome to the show. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a real pleasure. And, um, you know, I think I think a lot of our listeners know I'm, I'm a bit of a cottage fanatic. And, uh, you know, it's great to have you on the show because, you know, Cottage Life and, and Cottage Life Magazine, absolutely awesome. And uh, a lot of exciting things going on in cottage country nowadays. Certainly right at this very moment at the Cottage Life show where everything is is uh, everyone is sort of ready to get out of the winter hibernation and get up to the lake again. So it's the busiest time for us. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, spring has sprung. Um, I, I, being a cottager, I'll, I'll tell you, not quite up north as much as, uh, you know, down here in the city, but, um, you know, some exciting things. So can, can, can you tell us a little bit why somebody should be swinging by the cottage uh, show right now? Yes, well, for sure. If anyone who either has a cottage thinks that they might want to have a cottage uh, or even... even if you just like thinking about the cottage or the cottage lifestyle, the Cottage Life Show has something for you. It is the uh, largest four-day consumer show in Canada, I believe, and we have everything on offer from, you know, of course, boats and docks and all of that, but also, you know, things to decorate your cottage with or your city home or uh, seminars on how to take care of your septic system. Uh, septic system, <laughs> we've got it all from start to finish, <laughs> as well as, you know, a lot of stuff about entertainment. Uh, people who are on our Cottage Life television channel come and, you know, put on a show for us at the show. So it's, it's really fun. But I think the biggest thing for your listeners right now is that we have more than 500 real estate agents here at the uh, Spring Cottage Life show, which is, I believe is the largest gathering of cottage real estate agents anywhere in the world, I would think. Wow. You know, I, I, that's amazing to get 500 real estate agents in one place at one time. <laughs> um, yeah. you, you know, some 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 real exci- exciting things, obviously, about the cottage, you know, the cottage country and the cottage market. Um, over the last few years, of, of course, we've seen, you know, the attraction to cottage country. And um, w- one of the things for, for clarity for our listeners, I also want to know that uh, I want everybody to know that the Muskoka area is not the only place where cottages exist exist of course because you know a lot of times everybody thinks you know cottage country go north go to muskoka and at this stage i mean you know ontario is so enriched in cottage country i mean you've got lake erie lake huron lake ontario i mean you've got it absolutely everywhere you've got peterborough bancroft i mean it's unbelievable um maybe you can talk to us a little bit about some of your experience because i i do know that you know you're you're starting to enjoy cottage life again with your family um Mm -hmm. you know what 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 areas are I mean you know you know I can sit there and make a list um, but there are so many areas for people to be attracted to to for either rental or purchasing. Yeah, you know it's so funny you bring this up because we often hear that you know there's more to cottage 
the cottage country than just Muskoka, and I say that all the time. And, and of course, that's totally true. I mean, personally, um, I mean, I can tell you I've been to hundreds of cottages, and um, certainly many of them outside of Muskoka. I grew up at a cottage, you know, in eastern Ontario on, on the Rideau, which is it's a gorgeous area all its own. And now I go to the Lake Huron area with my own family for uh, our cottage experience each summer. And they're so different. That's what I think is really amazing about Ontario is there truly is something for everyone. And we tend to think of Muskoka and the rock and pine and more of the Canadian shield. And of course, that exists all across the province, not just in Muskoka. But there's also other experiences, you know, Lake Huron being a perfect example of a gorgeous beach with beautiful sunsets and a really different kind of more, uh, less isolated, more community-oriented kind of cottaging. So they're true. And those are just two places, right? There's just two kinds. So there truly is something for everyone. And it's no good to just limit your search to Muskoka, although there are, of course, even in Muskoka, that is a very varied region where there's, you know, everyone knows about the big Rosso, Muskoka, Lake Joseph. They know about all those big lakes, but there's tons of little lakes in there and even bargains, which I think people find the most surprising in that, you know, pretty um, well-known and famous area. But, but really, there's something to offer for everyone. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things, of course, and, and when we start touching on cottages and we start hearing, you know, there's the mansion cottages, but there is still affordability in Ontario to purchase cottages. I mean, you 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 touched on it where you're talking about these smaller lakes. And I mean, there's still cottages that are being able to be bought in that, you know, $100,000, $200,000 price range, not starting at one or two million dollars. And, you know, they really they, they may not be four seasons but they really do offer the cottage experience. Oh, yeah, without question. The, you know, I think if you're willing, particularly if you're willing to drive a little bit further from Toronto, you're going to be able to get a deal. I always talk about, you know, the going east instead of going north. So the Lando Lakes region, um, which is sort of the large, large swath of land north of Belleville, um, and even north of there and into Bancroft, closer to Algonquin Park, Halliburton Highlands. All of that, you're going to have to drive half an hour, 45 minutes longer to get there. But you're, the longer you drive away from Toronto, the more value that you'll get from your property. And up there, you can even get a four-season cottage, you know, for less than the average of what it costs for a cottage, you know, in Ontario as a whole. So there is absolutely value to be found. It's just a matter of looking in places that, you know, are not as uh, well-known. Yeah. So if we're if we talk about some of the hot spots, obviously, and and again, you know, uh, take Muskoka out of the out of the scenario here. But if we talk about some of the other, you know, major lakes, and if we even talk about the Great Lakes, because as you mm-hmm. as you touched on it, you know, you've got massive uh, miles of shoreline, nice beaches. You know, we can even talk about the Collingwood area into the Georgian Bay area. I mean, there, there's so much to offer. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, a lot of people I think should probably take in. in take to heart is it's always a good idea to rent in an area first prior to buying so you really truly understand what the area is like for for sure i recommend that all the time it it really as we were saying earlier there's such a wide variety of types of properties of types of areas you know you just mentioned collingwood and the, the you know southern georgian bay which also has nice uh, beachfront or sort of more gradual, um, like less cliff, less less rock. And again, whole other style of cottaging. And if you rent there first, you're going to get the feel for it. You're going to say, okay, well, maybe, I, you know, I'd like a specific 
um, place on my way up to driving to that area from my city home. And, and you start to develop sort of connections with other cottagers or with habits or traditions that exist within that community. And all of that really does contribute to the experience of owning a cottage. And so if you're, if you're able to try it out and you're able to see, okay, well, maybe this, maybe this is for me, um, it, it just gives you a lot more uh, information when you go to make the big purchase of, of buying a cottage. And the good thing is, too, for prospective cottage buyers is that there are so many cottages for rent across Ontario now. That's a really a, been a huge trend over the last five to ten years where we have tons of people putting their cottages you know, maybe for a week or two or maybe even for the whole summer, up for rent. So, you know, it's not a difficult thing to do to buy or to get in on a rental, and, and it, it really gives you the best informed uh, decision that you can can have in order to, to make the, the big purchase of buying, which is, you know, obviously a pretty big decision. Yeah, no, I think that's some great advice. So so we've got to make sure our listeners go to the Cottage Show, of course, uh, this weekend, and um, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show, Michelle. You too, Todd. Thank you so much for having us. I look forward to uh, talking with everyone when they come out to the International Center. Excellent. Thank you so much. That was Michelle Kelly, and she is the editor-in-chief at Cottage Life Media and Cottage Life Magazine. So make sure you check out the show. Hey, listen, when we come back, I've got Phil Soper from Royal Page with me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So my next guest joining me, uh, he's no stranger to the show and always a pleasure to have him on. It is Phil Soper. He is CEO of Royal LePage Brookfield Real Estate Services. And uh, Phil, thanks for joining me today. Hey, my pleasure. You know, um, of course, you know, one of the things that you and I have always had discussions about is things such as affordability and marketplaces. And and I wanted your take on what, you know, we're, we're going to talk about the hot topic uh, this week, of course, is the the federal liberal budget that came down and what they tried to do to entice first time homebuyers. Um, Phil, you've been in real estate for a long time. So have I. We've talked about CMHC and all sorts of things. I don't know. Does a CMHC partnership to somebody's ownership make sense to you? <laughs> well, you know what? I guess you should look at it as a as an uh, interest-free loan incentive offered on behalf of a government agency. It's some something similar to uh, interest-free loans that governments have provided for uh, college and university students over the years to uh, encourage access. Uh, in a way that doesn't add debt, um, but, real but debt, is it, even is though it, it adds obligation. Okay, but hang on, we, we we haven't seen the fine print, Phil, and this is this is where my concern comes in. You know, yep. uh, of course they 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 threw the carrot just that you know they're going to implement it just before the election. Not that I'm implying anything here, <laughs> but of course you know there's no there's no there, there's no there's no details to get the devil out of at this point. And do we know is it going to be interest free or could there be the appreciation factor? So if they're saying, hey, listen, we're going to be ten percent over of the property with you what if there's an incremental increase in the future you know equity gain does that mean that they're going to get to you know partake in that i mean i can't believe for one second that if somebody doesn't pay this thing back for the next 20 years that the government's just going to say hey listen hang on to forty thousand dollars and don't worry about it yeah it's an injury we don't have all the details uh the it's and and just to uh, back up a little bit uh, the CMHC participation in the resale market, which is the, the 
by far and away the biggest part of the market is a maximum of 5%. Uh, 10% is only for new builds. Yep. And I and the concept behind the 10% that you referred to was both to assist uh, uh, first-time buyers, young people, with home ownership, but also to encourage supply, which you and I have talked about uh, in the past, whether or not that will be enough to encourage um, uh, demand and therefore supply in the new home ownership uh, space is uh, a question mark. Yeah, you know, one, one of the things that, you know, I love talking to you about, Phil, obviously, is numbers. And you and I, you know, we, we, we get fed numbers from different agencies, different uh, reports, everything, on a regular basis. And so the federal government, when releasing this, said, okay, you know, this over the next three years, they believe that this is going to entice 100,000, you know, new buyers into the marketplace. And, okay, that's great. Um, you, did, you did touch on one thing, of course, being resale, only a 5% level. But if we... If we go back to the builders for a second because of course everybody likes the top number you know hey listen we get 10 percent, not just five percent mm-hmm. um the one thing though is if this gets implemented in the fall and and again this is not somebody that's under contract right now so this means that if you buy new uh in the fall i mean technically as you and i both know there is the build cycle for a lot of these condominiums and all of a sudden boom you know we've got to wait three four years before a closing happens you know the idea that they're enticing a hundred thousand people I, th- I think the numbers are just I think they're fluff I think it's a, a it's a promise that's really you know I I think they're gearing it towards the Millennials to get that vote but I don't see this really being a game-changer nor do I think it's going to start forcing prices up in the resale market well it's it, interesting you know whether or not you believe it's effective or whether you believe it's bad policy they're really two different questions on the the, the effectiveness, I think that it may be more effect, a more effective strategy than uh, some, some would think on initial blush. And by the way, some very smart people, I heard this morning, a uh, fellow I know at CIBC, very smart analyst, didn't think it would be that effective. Here's, here's why I think it probably will uh, have more of an impact than uh, many believe it will. When we go into a a correctional cycle in the real estate industry and transaction volumes fall off, which is what we've experienced in 2018 and in in the first couple of months of 2019, uh, the whole machine that is the uh, real estate industry begins to slow down. It's almost like you get uh, sand in the gears. But the, the real key piece that uh, starts missing is the first-time buyer, and if you can, if you can, uh, either through the invisible hand of the economy, in other words, no government involvement at all, uh, there's some reason that first-time home buyers get uh, encouraged to get back in the market, or governments at a provincial, municipal, or federal level do something that encourages first-time home buyers to get back in. It actually starts the entire machine running again. So when you when you get those entry-level buyers uh, purchasing the the uh, the, the homes from people who we, we call our move-up buyers, it gives them someone to sell to and uh, gets a lot of them to get out of their home. And then those move-up buyers buy the entry-level luxury and the entry-level luxury buy the luxury. And the whole 
wheel of the real estate engine starts spinning again. So encouraging first-time home buyers, even though it's a relatively small part of the market, has a uh, a follow-through uh, impact across the entire uh uh, industry. The other, the other thing, of course, is that even though it's a relatively small amount of money, in uh, I think if we're talking about a half a, a billion dollars a year in a sixty billion dollar uh, industry, it, it's from a mortgages standpoint, and that's where CMHC comes in. We're really not talking about the, the size of the contribution. We're talking about the size of the overall. Um, housing market that that's involved. So you have to take that 5% and multiply it by 20, not to get into too much math again, uh, to have uh, to see the full impact. So we're probably talking about somewhere in the, the uh, closer to $10 billion incentive, which may be cost-free for the government if, in fact, uh, the, you believe in the uh, strength of the Canadian housing inventory. In other words, if you believe that house prices are going to continue to appreciate, that, that people are going to continue to uh, come to Canada, that we'll have more households, uh, and that the housing stock will be valuable in 5, 10, 15 years from now, it's a, a relatively a low-cost way of uh, getting the wheels of the industry rolling again. Yeah. Uh, So speaking of the wheels rolling, um, obviously, you know, here we are um, coming full fledged into the spring market. Are are you seeing an uptick? You know, let's forget about the budget. Um, You know, it's too easy for me to play with that one. But um, are are you starting to see on the ground? uh, You know, are your agents reporting back to you saying that they're, they're seeing some growth and activity into the marketplace? Yeah, you know what? The uh, people will probably be surprised when they see the the Rolla Page House price uh, composite will be released uh, shortly, right? And it reports on the first quarter. The first couple of months were very soft, and uh, I think they'll be surprised at particularly price strength in the uh, first quarter in the GTA when uh, when we release uh, that that data. Uh, in, in a couple of weeks' time, when the quarter closes, the um, uh, particularly in the city of Toronto, but now spreading to the 905 as well, there is enough activity that home prices are appreciating again. It's a very different situation than we see in Vancouver, where the uh, correction that was triggered in 2018 uh, continues to slide. Matter of fact, if you step back and you look across Canada. Atlantic Canada looks strong. Quebec looks strong. Uh, outside of Toronto or the GTA, uh, the, the province was never stopped being strong. But now all of Ontario looks good. Manitoba looks good. The weak parts are Alberta, Saskatchewan, Newfoundland, and BC. So it's it's um, it's not a dire uh, straits situation when we look at real estate nationally. It's actually it mirrors the uh, employment data we got uh, in the first quarter, where January and February were the two strongest months in full-time job creation since 1981. Wow. Well, Phil, always great to have you on the show. Um, uh, You know what? Uh, We'll stay in touch and get you back on probably in the next month or two, and we can check in and see how the market's going. Okay. You take care, Tom.
Thanks so much, folks. That Bye-bye. was Phil. That was Phil Soper, CEO of Royal LePage. Always a pleasure to have him on the show. And coming up after the break, I have Benjamin Tall, Deputy Chief Economist from CIBC World Markets, joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So my next guest now is Mr. Benjamin Tall, and he is the Deputy Chief Economist at CIBC World Markets. He's a returning guest here to Simply Real Estate and a real uh, privilege and pleasure to have him on the show. And Mr. Tall, welcome back. A pleasure. Thank you. Um, So since you and I last spoke, um, this was back in the early part of the fall, we started watching the Bank of Canada start inching up rates. And, um, you know, know, you'd indicated, and, and I think everybody was indicating that that we should start seeing interest rates kind of gradually climb. It was a necessity, but uh, a whole lot has changed in the last six months. And I was wondering if I could take, you know, get your take on it. First and foremost, of course, the Bank of Canada, they're, they're, they're saying they're going to kind of stay at a neutral point right now. The Bank of Canada, as of uh, recently as October of last year, was extremely bullish, uh, basically telling us that they're going to raise interest rates from the current 1.75% uh, to around 3%. So they have been very, very bullish on the market. And then something happened in December. We got some bad numbers, and the Bank of Canada changed its language 180, basically from being extremely bullish to being very defensive, basically telling us we are almost done. So a big, big difference between the language of October of last year and what we are hearing from the Bank of Canada now. The same goes, by the way, for the Fed in the U.S. So both central bankers are much less um, uh, excited about uh, the prospect of raising interest rates. In fact, both of them are telling us maybe we are finished for a while. Wow. Uh, this week, of course, we heard that the Federal Reserve has announced that there'll be no further interest hikes at this time or that they're looking at for 2019 and even the potential of perhaps a slight decrease. Um, is, is it normal for Canada to normally follow suit of the Fed? Yes. In many ways, you don't want to divorce yourself from the Fed for too long. It happened before and it was not pretty. So I think that if the Fed is not moving, it's unlikely that the Bank of Canada will raise interest rates. Um, Listen, the Bank of Canada would like to see the dollar relatively low and even going lower because that helps our exports, which is not going so well now. So if you raise interest rates and the Fed is not, that will uh, take our dollar higher, and that's negative for exports, something that the Bank of Canada does not want to see. So I don't think that they will divorce themselves from the Fed. In fact, even if the Fed raises interest rates, I think the Bank of Canada will be reluctant to raise interest rates. Remember, one of the big differences between Canada and the U.S. is the housing market and the amount of debt that we carry. As a society, as a country, we are much more sensitive to the risk of higher interest rates than in the U.S. when they went through the mother of all deleveraging during the crisis. We did not. Our debt to income ratio went up. Theirs went up. When theirs went down. So that's why we are much more sensitive to the risk of higher interest rates. The Bank of Canada knows that. In many ways, what the Bank of Canada is telling us, maybe the disease is also the cure. Maybe the increased sensitivity to higher rates will prevent interest rates from rising to the sky. Another reason why the Bank of Canada will be on neutral for a while. 
So on that same note, you and I, uh, over the last couple of years, have had discussions, obviously, about the real estate values and where they're going. And of course, you know, we watched the, the, the decline in the market. Again, not a crash scenario, but an adjustment, a slight adjustment off the highs that we had back in, let's say, around 2017. Now, at this stage, though, would you look at this market currently in Canada as a neutral value market? In other words, we've got a new baseline. Could this be the start of the next real estate cycle where we are today? Today? Well, not so fast. Uh, I think that uh, when it comes to real estate, of course, depends where you live. Toronto is very different than Alberta, and Vancouver is very different than uh, Eastern Canada. So it depends where you live. If you focus on uh, Toronto and Vancouver, uh, clearly we have seen a significant adjustment, and we needed to see this adjustment. This was a very healthy adjustment because of the fact that uh, in Toronto, for example, 2016 did not make any sense. Up to 2016, Everything made sense. You know, we were able to explain the trajectory in house prices. Something happened in 2016 that simply we cannot explain. And if we cannot explain it, it must be bad. We have seen speculations. We have seen, we have seen this, uh, uh, flipping, all kinds of things happening uh, in 2016 and early 2017 that led this huge increase in prices. And now we are simply undoing uh, crazy years. So um, clearly gravity is taking place. Then you have interest rates rising, and the most important issue, of course, is B20, the changes to regulations that make it more difficult for people to qualify. The recent changes um, to affordability by the government in the budget um, will not change the trajectory of the market in any significant way. It's simply too small to make a significant impact. So the overall story is that we are simply undoing 2016, and that's a very healthy process. I don't think it's over yet, especially when it comes to uh, new construction, especially in the low-rise segment of the market, namely the touch houses. That's where most of the damage is. It's not over. And I think that uh, over the next year, we will see some softness in the condo space as well, where um, the price of new uh, construction, namely pre-sale, is at a record high relative to resale. So we will see some softness in this market as well, and that would be a very healthy one. You did bring up the budget. Of course, the, the federal government introduced a budget uh, this past week and was showing some incentive that they want to help first-time homebuyers come into the marketplace with the idea that CMHC would actually partner with people up to 10% of a down payment, providing you qualify uh, four times 120000 as the maximum. Um, Mr. Tall, when, when, when we talk about that kind of intervention, I almost want to call it co-ownership. Um, you know, from a real estate perspective, I don't know if this is a a smart approach but b the best approach that they should be taking instead of perhaps offering the ability that you know there might have been other solutions such as family members being able to offer some rsps to assist people in buying what how did you read this whole thing when you took a look at the budget Yes, uh, the move by the government uh, is an elegant move if you wish uh, is it a game changer it's not why simply it's too too small we're talking about 1.25 billion over three years, which gives you just over 400 million a year for a whole country. That's not a lot. You do the math, we're talking about roughly 0.2% of originations in one year. That's not a game changer. So it's a very interesting approach, trying to basically target first-time home buyers, especially people of low to mid-income range, but is it a game changer for the mortgage market as a whole? Not really. Second, um, we have two things happening, and that's uh, why it's a bit confusing. 
we have on the one hand the, the government, the, the regulators are trying to slow down the market, introducing B20, namely the changes to regulations and qualifications, basically to reduce demand. Then this program is actually improving demand by making, uh, you know, home ownership a bit more affordable for first-time home buyers. So you have basically two forces going in different directions. It's like putting a humidifier and a dehumidifier in a room and let them fight it out. <laughs> I like that analogy. Um, when, when you do talk about affordability, of course, we talk about the stress test, one of the you know, biggest things that the federal uh, government had put into play. And when we look at the stress test, should there be a variance for stress tests? Should they be more specific to a province? Because as, as you mentioned, of course, we've got a diverse uh, marketplace in Canada. We've got Alberta and the eastern provinces struggling where we turn around and look at Vancouver and, let's say, Toronto market, that is not. Should that stress test be more provincially mandated as opposed to federally? That's a very good point. Uh, listen, I, was, uh, I supported the stress test because I think that we needed to save some Canadians from themselves. However, you are absolutely right that just imposing 200 basis points, and that's it, is a bit too rough. Um, first of all, who came up with these 200 basis points? Where is the science behind it? Yeah. <laughs> there is no science behind it. It's just somebody woke up and decided 200 basis points. And I say, you know, this is something that is significant. This is the most significant force impacting the mortgage market now. And listen, when the 200 basis points were introduced, the bank rate, the Bank of Canada rate, was 75 basis points lower. So now it's up by 75 basis points, and still we maintain the 200 basis points. So, first of all, I agree. I don't think that the St. John, Newfoundland needs slowing. No, I think that we need to encourage it. But here's, you know, uh, one other point, though, of course, is that we've got people that are renewing. And these are the people that perhaps have had a five-year term mortgage. They have they get stuck with the lender that they're currently existing with because they cannot, you know, if they go to move to another lender, they're going to have to go to a stress test. Does this not, does it, to me, should there not be a grandfather system that says, if you've been able to maintain a proper mortgage for the last five years with the increase in the interest rates or anything else, why do we have to go to a stress test? Does this not take away? a little bit of that competitive market? Yes, it does. It does. Uh, it's not an optimal approach, absolutely. There are many issues to it. So I suggest, first of all, why don't we reduce it a little bit? Let's make it 100. Let's make it, uh, let's link it to something that moves uh, with the economy. We can come up with something. Also, we can uh, impose a minimum, if you wish. Let's say, I don't know, 4% or something. So if it goes by under it, you still have the stress test. Something like that, that will protect the system, but also will not shock it. Uh, you don't, you know, the, the, the operation can be a success, but you know what will happen to the patient. <laughs> we have to be very, very careful here. So I think that it's time to rethink B20, and I don't think that the changes by the government, the budget recently, will, will, will make a significant difference. So it's still an issue. We have to find out, we have to come up with something better. Do you think the Bank of Canada is going to stay pat where we are at interest rates for the rest of the year? Yes. I think the likelihood of them moving at this point is relatively low. Uh, they don't have any appetite to raise interest rates. They would like to raise it a bit more. Uh, I think that the Bank of Canada, if given the chance, will move it by another 25 basis points. Remember, we have um, the, the bank rate, the Bank of Canada rate, is 175. Inflation is 2. This means that real rate... The real rate for the Bank of Canada is negative 25 basis points. Negative rate, the real neutral rate. Right. They have problems swallowing this. <laughs> so how is it possible that the neutral rate is negative? 
So they would like to take it to something above zero. However, the economy is not allowing them to do so. Right. Uh, you know, we had really bad two quarters, and uh, the next few quarters will not be uh, something to write home about. And then we have 2020, that will be a very challenging year. Uh, I don't see them raising interest rates, especially with inflation not exactly in the sky. Yeah. So I think that they will have to let it happen and just uh, keep interest rates where they are. Yeah, excellent. Mr. Tall, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show again, and uh, thank you so much for joining us today. A pleasure. Thank you. You know, I want to thank all my guests uh, this hour. Uh, Michelle Kelly, Editor-in-Chief from Cottage Life, Phil Soper, CEO of Royal LePage, and Benjamin Tall, Deputy Chief Economist from CIBC. Great to have all these guests, you know, chatting with us. And um, I want to thank Ian and Andre. They make it simple for me this week, as they always do. And I want to thank you for tuning in. Uh, Remember, we've got our Simple Seminar coming up this Thursday, March 28th. Make sure you go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.